So Romans chapter 13. So we have a new handout for you guys. I figured twice was enough. You know, I still, I still got to listen to that and actually figure out if you guys are telling me the truth or not. I, don't, I just don't know. I feel like it was a big setup by you guys to be like, hey, when Pastor John gets back, tell him this or that. I will. I will. I know I need to. I just keep forgetting to go look at it and do it. So, this, I'm sure he did. Greg always does a good job. What's that? Who did better? Yeah, I guess so. As far as in what way? <laughs> right, accurate and heretic. I got it. It's cool. I, I, you didn't want to say that, but I understand what you were implying. So, No, I told Greg afterwards because he made that comment last week before we even started about voting on who did the better job on Romans 12. So Monday, I think it was, we were doing our uh, office kind of prayer time. And he made a comment. He said, well, I noticed you didn't do that or whatever. And I said, well, I didn't want you to feel bad, you know, when everyone voted for me. But then I did realize it was a little arrogant. So I told him if he wants to think that he did the better job, that's great. He can go ahead and do that. I'll give him all the glory for that. Um, and I'll just submit under that and just let him have all the praise for that. I'll give God the glory for my talk, but he can have the glory for his if he wants. So what's that? I'm sure they were equally great. Yes. Somebody call me pious. Well, that kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? All right, so I don't either. I'm just trying to get away from that subject. All right, so Romans chapter 13. So we have come, uh, again, quite a long way. We have got um, three more chapters, and so I can't believe we're almost done. Um, Romans 13 is actually a very short chapter, uh, only 14 verses. And so what I'm thinking we're going to do uh, is in just a minute, we're just going to go ahead and read the whole chapter and then just see how far we get in the outline. And so to set it up a little bit, um, just again as a reminder of how we kind of got here, uh, in Romans 12, we transitioned to what many Bibles, and if you have uh, headings above your chapters in your English Bible or sections, it might say something like Christian conduct or Christian living. Um, and so Romans 12 kind of starts us down that line. Romans 13 is going to continue in that, that kind of vein. That Romans 12 is getting us back to what does it look like to live as a follower of Christ. And so we kind of said before, you got to connect that back to Romans 8, where it talks about we have been given the love of Christ. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. That so we've been given the Spirit of God, right? We cried out, Abba, Father. He adopted us into his family. And so from 8, we kind of put a little bit of a pin in that idea. We go 9, 10, and 11, which again was dealing more with um, God's sovereignty, free will, and then the nation of Israel. Then Romans 12, we kind of come back to what Romans 8 left off on, okay? It all goes together, but if you kind of compartmentalize it that way, to me it seems to make a better flow or have a good flow in understanding. And so we talked about Romans 12. Um, we talked about the idea that we're a living sacrifice, which is due to our understanding of the previous 11 chapters, Right? He says, therefore, right? I beseech you, therefore, because of everything I've said to this point, it makes sense that we should be a living sacrifice. And so Romans 12 talks about what that living sacrifice looks like. Romans 13 is a continuation of that thoughts. Okay? We don't stop living sacrifice at the end of 12, and 13 is something altogether different. It's the same kind of idea that we're living out in the world. Right? Romans 12 talks about in the church. 
among the body, right? The gifts and how we use the gifts for the body. But then also talks about with others or all men, right? We should live peaceably with all men. And so it kind of broadens out a little bit beyond the church. In Romans 13, we're going to get into a topic that I love how God is. Um, God is sovereign over all things. And when we started doing Romans, I did not think, I wonder what will be going on in our political climate so that I can time it perfectly where Romans 13 falls right here or right there. Um, and as I was preparing for this this week, I thought, how cool that God aligned this this way. And so, but the reality is, if we're being honest, although for some of us, or maybe most of us, we feel like this is the worst quote, the worst it's ever been, we can really be pretty honest with ourselves and say, that's not really true, right? I mean, for us, it may be in a way, but many generations of people all over the world, so not just America, but let's step a little farther, believers for the last 2,000 years, they've seen some pretty crazy stuff done by governments, right? They've seen some pretty crazy things happen when religion and government become intertwined, right? Think about the whole idea of the Reformation, I mean, the Catholic Church was so embedded in the governments of, of England and so on that it was all about power and control. And so now all of a sudden the king had to make sure he kept the church happy because the church endorsed the king. And if the king didn't make the church happy, then the church would endorse someone else and it would cause all these issues. And so then you have people that start standing up against the Catholic Church. And now what's the king supposed to do? Well, I got to get the back of the church. I got to cover the church. And so people's land was being taken from them. I mean, just complete and utter things are just going on that were crazy. And so when you think about this, yes, there are things in our government we don't like. And we're going to kind of walk some of this out here. But let's not be so narrow viewed that we actually think that this is the worst it's ever been. In some ways, sin will make things worse and worse and worse, right? There's levels of that that's true. We see it all around us. Um, a good example would be a hundred years ago, people may have sinned in a certain way. Let's, let me rephrase People did sin in a certain way, okay? Um, and now a hundred years later, they're sinning the same way, but now it's more, it's, it's not condemned publicly like it once was. Does that make sense? The sin has always been, but now it's like, it's more like, well, that's not a big deal now versus 100 years ago in our country anyway. It was like, no, that's bad. We shouldn't do that. Um, a good example would be, I've shared this before, that when we were in Vegas, um, someone said to me, you know, the problem with Vegas is that people sin everywhere, but they come here and they think it's okay to do it here. Like they show it off here, but other places they kind of frown upon it. And he said he, that was true of his experiences with people. He talked to people and they would do these things and talk about they came to Vegas just to live as crazy as could be because that's what you're supposed to do in Vegas. And so in the same way, I think we have to understand that there are some things we, we don't like, I don't like, I disagree with. But understand that when we talk about this idea of government and po politics and leadership, it's not the worst it's ever been. Okay. Now, I do believe the Lord's coming again soon put that in kind of a perspective. And so we're not saying, man, no one's ever had to go through this before. Because we know people, brothers and sisters, are going through way worse right now, today, in other countries. Right? By the way, you all walked in here of your own free will. No one was policing you in the parking lot. Anybody? What's that? Right. Right. I didn't get handed a government-approved sermon. Okay? Now, I know when I say things like that, people go, well, yeah, but one day, brother, it's then guess what? We can address it differently one day. We're saying right now, this is, we're just being honest with where we are, okay? By the way, I walked in here with this Bible. Nobody arrested me for that. You can walk down the street with this. No one's going to arrest you for that, 
right? Now, you can stand on a street corner, a public street corner, and preach the gospel, right? Public property, you can stand and preach the gospel. A police officer is not going to come and arrest you. Now, could some other citizen come up and stand next to you and preach atheism and all this stuff right as you're preaching your gospel? And by the way, take this as it is. That's the beauty of our country, right? And I'll say it this way too. I say public property because if somebody believes that homosexuality is not a sin and that two people who are homosexual should be married and that's fine and they want to do it in this church and they come to our church and say, can I get married? I'm going to say, no. I'm going to say the word of God says that's a sin. It would be wrong for me to marry you. I'm sorry, we can't do that. If they said, hey, I want to come to your pulpit and I want to speak about how it's okay to be homosexual. Can I do that? Nope. You can go out on the corner right here off our property and you can tell everybody that walks by or drives by. You can tell them all about how it's okay, but you're not going to do it here because this is not public property. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So yes, we do have things in our country we don't like, but I want you to understand we have a ton of freedoms that we can still exercise, we can still utilize to make the gospel known. Okay? Um, I know that it's frustrating when you have social media that censors or hinders things that get put out there. I'm just going to say this because it's kind of like I'm in the same vein. I'm weird this way, and I, you don't have to agree with this. You completely disagree with me. That's fine. It's not a biblical issue. I don't see Facebook censoring someone's post on Facebook as infringing on free speech. Because my understanding of free speech means the government will not infringe upon free speech. That I can't be arrested for saying something the government doesn't like. Facebook is a private corporation. Last time I checked anyway. So guess what I could do if I don't like that Facebook is censoring my posts? What could I do? Delete my Facebook or get together with other like-minded people who are smart enough to make our own Facebook. That's the beauty of our country. So I, I want you to understand this. Like, we have to be careful here. Sometimes we throw these things around, and it's, I understand the frustration, and I get it. But let's make sure that we're using the right terminologies, the right ideas. And if we have a freedom, let's exercise it, is what I'm getting at. And that's the beauty of our country. We've been given great freedoms. Uh, we just voted on Tuesday. I said it last Sunday. There's a lot of places in the world they don't have that freedom. So, man, it's great that we can utilize that. I love seeing people have, you know, people that are, are, are feeling like the governor's or overstepped her bounds and all that. And there's these petitions going around. People can sign to repeal this law and all that. That's great. We have the freedom in our country to petition our government and say, we don't like this. This should change. There's nothing wrong with utilizing that freedom. But at the end of the day, we should be 10 times more passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ than we are about a petition to remove or to limit a governor. That's, that's where I guess my little bit of a soapbox in the last so many months has been, is that I feel like as political things are heightening and things we don't like are happening, we're so passionate to stand and fight against those things. And that's good because, again, we've been given the freedom to do that. But we better be more passionate making sure people know the truth of Jesus Christ. And I feel like in our church culture in our country today, that's not the case. And I just saw a post the other day by a friend of mine who basically said something to the, the idea of if, if you were as passionate for Christ as you were for your political ideology, your community would be rocked. Like you'd change your world. And so when we get into this, understand, there's things Paul's going to say here that you're going to go, wait a minute, but, but wait a minute, but I don't like that. I don't like that it says that. Again, understand, 
where we can, we can submit to the authorities that are over us in a way that is gracious and respectful while also utilizing those freedoms to say, we're submitting to what you're asking us, but we're also going to ask for this or that petition. You understand? We can walk in a balance here. So all that to say this. Let's look at Romans 13. So, so Romans 13 continues the idea of living out the truths of Romans 12, not merely within the church, but without the church as well, meaning with, on the outside of the church in the world today. So uh, Romans 13, can I get a volunteer to read? Uh, we'll say like verses 1 through 8 and 9 through 14. We'll just do two readers, 1 through 8. Did I see a hand? Renee, okay, all right. She, I, I thought I saw her hand, and her hand went down. I said, did I see a hand? And she nodded yes at me, and I was like, what does that mean? Okay, uh, 9 through 14. Oh, no, that's fine. Lance. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. So we're just going to read through all of it together and then we'll kind of start breaking it apart little by little. Okay. So Romans 13 is interesting because you can hear a lot of the Apostle Paul's epistles, other epistles in this chapter. Can you not? Just the way it's written, the things that are mentioned here, you can hear things that, okay, that sounds like Ephesians. That sounds like Galatians. That sounds like a lot of things that we read in other epistles. And so it's a good summary of how we should live in this world. Again, continuing from Romans 12. So Paul continues to express how believers should interact with the secular world. Uh, now his focus kind of shifts from relationships to with governing authorities. Um, one commentary said this, God has established three institutions in the world. This is not in your notes, kind of to make a little space for everything so it wouldn't be too many pages, but you can jot this down if you would like. Um, uh, three institutions in the world. The home, and we see that obviously as early as Genesis 2, right? The idea of the home, the, the family dynamic, okay? Mother and father in the home. Uh, by the way, I would, I would suggest that many of the issues we see in our world today that are negative, you can find the root of that is going to be in a fatherless home, right? Or a broken home. Uh, it's amazing to see. I don't think that's a coincidence that in areas where fathers are not in the home, you see, as that's happening more and more, you see an uptick in things like violence and, and just crime, but also in individuals thinking less of themselves, individuals having a lower view of themselves, because God has designed it for mom and dad in the home as one family unit. So one of the things that God established in the world is the home. The other would be the government. The government. We see this as early as Genesis 9. Genesis 9. We see this idea of the government. And then also we see another institution in the world today, and that would be the church, the church. And we kind of unpacked all that this morning. So Paul is writing to the heart of the Roman Empire. Uh, and as of yet, the great persecutions had not begun. So as Paul's writing this, the Christians living in Rome were not under what we know will come as the great persecutions. Uh, this is things like when Emperor Nero began to persecute Christians to a great degree and the stories of, you know, covering them in, in basically oil and then lighting them on fire to use them to light the hallways of his palace. These things are not happening yet. And so it's coming. And obviously, does God know that's coming? So as Paul's writing this, did God inspire Paul to write something that in a few years when the persecution came would no longer be valid and now you can just disregard it? No. God knew what was coming. And so we got to look at the heart of what he's saying here. Um, and so Christians at this time, and many of you probably know this, were considered part of the Jewish religion. They were just a sect of Jews. Okay, they weren't really seen as a separate religion as of yet. 
Um, and since the Jews were free to worship under Rome to some degree, Christians went unnoticed for a time from the Roman Empire. So as great persecutions didn't come initially because they were seen from the Roman perspective, well, that's just part of the Jewish religion, so we're not going to pay them a lot of attention. Now, we know that persecution came to the Christians from Jews and from Romans, but I'm talking on a grand scale. We know that it's going to come to a, a large degree in a few years after this. Uh, the time came when it was difficult for the Christians to be in submission to Rome. Today, we find the same difficulty at times. One option is to rebel and disobey the law of the land. However, Paul suggests a different view. And so four reasons, if you look at the chapter here, there's really kind of four reasons or four arguments that Paul gives to submit to the authorities above us. Okay. Now, again, submission does not mean we don't utilize the freedoms we've been given to voice our concerns. Right? I can fully submit and still say, but I don't like this or that. I can still submit, but not like this or that. And we're going to talk about two in a minute. When is it okay to submit with reservations? We'll say it that way, and we'll unpack that in a minute. So the first thing we see in the first four verses would be for wrath's sake. So one of the reasons that Paul suggests that we need to be submitting to the authorities above us is for wrath's sake. Wrath's sake. So he says that right here in verse 2. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? And this is such a true verse. I, I think if we could just learn this in our day and age, not just as Christians, but I mean in our culture today, in our world today, I think we'd have a whole different situation. Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, what should happen? I should be afraid. Why should I be afraid? Because the authority above me bears not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So what's Paul saying here? Do good, you'll be fine. Do evil, and you're going to have consequences if we're really being simple here. First thing we have to note, it is God that established governments. He is sovereign over all. This does not mean that he is responsible to all the evil that can be done through human governments. It merely means that he has allowed them and uses them for his purposes. Okay? Paul says it at the very beginning here that God has ordained human authorities. But that does not mean that God is the author of any evil that a government does. Let's be honest. There have been really, really great kings and rulers and governments, right? As far as good, they're just good leaders. Think about the nation of Israel, southern kingdom. What do we know about the kings of the southern kingdom? Judah, down in that area. The kings. Say so southern was partial good, partial bad. Okay? And then you've got the northern kingdom. What do we know about those, the northern ten tribes? Almost all bad. Right? I mean, you could even argue even those that were good really weren't that good. Right? But again, God ordained those authorities. God allowed those rulers to rule. And we see that today. We have some leaders that are good in some ways and do good things, and some leaders that are bad and do bad things. But the point is, no matter what the human authority is doing, we understand as believers that God is over all, right? We even looked at it last week about Daniel chapter 2. God sets up kingdoms and kings, and God what? 
tears them down, okay? Because he is the ultimate authority. To resist the authorities over you, Paul suggests, is like resisting God. Now, obviously, we will address when government goes against our conscience as followers of God's word in just a moment. But the basic idea here is majority of the time we live in a land that has laws and we are asked by Paul and by God to submit to those authorities that are over us because ultimately we don't fear the human government because we know ultimately God is over all of it. Uh, There's a term here, uh, bears the sword. Has anyone heard what that term means or refers to? Bears the sword. The human authority does not bear the sword in vain. Has anyone ever heard or maybe you've studied yourself and you've kind of looked into what that term means or could mean? What do you think, what, what do you think context-wise, what do you think it refers to? Okay. So in the context, who should be worried about the sword? The good or the evildoer? Right. The evildoer says, hey, you better be aware because the authority doesn't bear the sword in vain. So an evildoer needs to fear the authority because of the sword. So what do you think that's referring to? Okay, punishments, right? There's two ways to look at this. The way it's kind of referred to here and based on biblical scripture, it either does one of two things. It either affirms capital punishment, which is what, that's one of the views that some take to this regard. Um, it could be speaking to capital punishment for crimes. Uh, Genesis 9, 5 through 6 speaks of capital punishment, um, as well does the law of God. We see this idea of that you could commit a crime that would cause you to be put to death. Okay, the, the law of God speaks to that. Genesis 9 speaks of that idea. Um, and I know again today in our day and age, that's not a popular thing to talk about. But one view is that, okay, it's actually talking about capital punishment, the idea of dying for your crime or your evil doings. The other idea some have taken is it merely speaks about just a general punishment for crimes of evil. So the sword isn't, in this case, literally the sword of judgment, okay, which could mean like beheading or something like that. It could just be speaking to any punishment for evil. Anyone that does evil will be punished, okay? So again, we see this idea all throughout Scripture. Do good, and you'll receive praise. Do evil, and there's punishments. But we live in a day and age today where that's even kind of not the ideal, right? That's not even what people are saying. It's almost like you do good, that's great and good. And, And we do see people being praised for doing good, right? I mean, there's good people doing good things. But there are also evil people doing evil things, and it's not necessarily seen as evil because of maybe the reason they're doing the evil. This is the day and age we live in. It's kind of the situational ethics. Yeah, it was evil, and yeah, you shouldn't have done it, but the reason you were doing it is good, so we're okay with it. There's a saying about that. The ends justify the means. So if somebody does this really evil thing, but out of that comes this potentially good thing, we're okay with the evil because eh, it led to this good thing. That's where human governments can go. But do you see, Paul makes it pretty clear. Good, you receive praise. Evildoer, you're going to receive punishment. Even if our human government doesn't get that, guess what God tells us in Romans chapter 2? Yeah. If a human government lets an evildoer go unpunished, God's got that. Romans 2. Don't think you're escaping the day of wrath. If a human government punishes an evildoer in a human sense, God says, okay, but if you don't know Christ, there's eternal weight for that evil, 
right? God uses this illustration with parents, right? Fathers and mothers disciplining their children. He says, I will do the same type of thing. So again, you see, God is the foundation of all of this truth. Human government is supposed to represent those truths. But even if they go sideways, God is still over all of this. God ordains and uses human authorities and opportunities. Uh, we see this even in Israel. Who did God use to correct the children of God, the, the southern kingdom? Who captured the southern kingdom, led them away? But there was a root, right? The Babylonians. Heathen nation. Okay? Not a good people. But God used them to bring his people where they needed to be. And so we see this again. The Assyrians captured the northern kingdom. We see God using that to correct the Israelites and the children of God. And so God uses all of these things. Warren Worsby points out that even Paul himself used his Roman citizenship to his advantage at times in his ministry. If you guys remember Acts chapter 16, remember Paul and uh, Silas preaching? There's a girl that starts following them around. What's the girl start doing? She actually says true things, right? These men are preaching in the name of the Lord. They're preaching the truth, whatever she says. Finally, it's become a distraction because people are paying more attention to her than to the message. Paul turns around. What does he do? He casts the demon out of her. Okay, what was her job, by the way? What did she do for a living? What did the demon give her the ability to do? Seemingly to foresee future, or at least tell fortunes. Okay, most people believe that the demon gave her the ability to know the past to a point where she could convince someone that their future was going to be this or that. Do you guys get that? So it's like the demon could reveal to her, okay, this is this person, this is what they've done, right? Because who, who knows the future? Right. Satan doesn't know the future except for what's revealed, right? Because Satan is not omniscient. Therefore, angels are not omniscient. They don't know all things. So most people believe the demon just gave her wisdom of the past. Therefore, she could convince them of their future, okay? But if it was like today, you don't need much convincing because we buy all kinds of stuff, don't we? I mean, we just buy this stuff left, right, and center. So... She, he cast the demon out. Great. Praise God. What do the owners of this girl who's a slave do? They get upset and they throw him in prison. Well, they have him beaten first and then thrown in prison. By the way, they're in a Roman area. All Paul had to do was say, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't touch me. Does he do that? No. However, he's beaten, thrown in prison. They figure out who he is. The magistrates say, hey, go tell him. Basically, sneak him out the back door. We'll keep it hush, hush. There's those human governments doing the right thing, right? Taking ownership for their mistakes. But let's just hush them out the back door. Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm a Roman citizen, and they're going to come down here and talk to me. There's other times. How about when he ends up going to Rome? Why wasn't he just killed right in that moment? I'm a Roman citizen. They took him into house arrest and transported him to Rome because that's how he had to be handled. So we see here that God uses those human authorities to advance the glory of God, the word of God, in ways that we don't even understand. We've been talking about this a lot on Wednesday nights with our epic study, that there are times in, in church history where like, God, how could you ever use this region, this area, this leader? And then you find out, oh, look at how the gospel just, just expanded throughout that region, even in, this, in spite of and because of even evil governments. And so when we reject or rebel against the authorities, we invite both God's disapproval and formal condemnation from the authorities. So we invite God's disapproval if we're resisting the, the law of the land, if you will. God is encouraging us to submit to those things. But also we may even be inviting actual formal 
condemnation and consequences from our human authorities. So we see for wrath's sake is Paul's starting point. Then he transitions to verses 5 through 7. Let's look at that again. 5 through 7. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this, uh, for this cause, pay you tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So this idea of rendering to that person, that position, that authority, the right, uh, the due diligence, if you were to say, you know what, this person deserves honor, this person deserves tribute. We talked about this last week, right? What does he say? Show me a coin. It has Caesar's image on it. Give it to Caesar. It's his. That's his tribute, okay? That's what he has earned. Uh, Paul transitions to the reason of conscience as a motivation to submit, again, moving up the ladder to higher and purer purposes. Wrath is the starting point. Then we move to conscience. Um, Anyone can submit out of fear of punishment, but believers, we can submit due to conscience. If the believer believes God is behind the authorities, that to disobey them would mean a violation of one's conscience. If I'm ultimately wanting to be in submission to God and God is behind these human authorities, I submit to them as a reflection of my submission to God. Now, obviously, if the authorities try and violate our conscience, meaning asking us to go against God's word, then we must obey God rather than man. Okay, an example of that is Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. Can I get somebody to go there and read that real quick? Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. Just to kind of get another idea here what we're talking about. So Acts 5, 29. Once someone's there, go ahead and just start reading for us. You got it, Evan? No? Okay. I saw it earlier and I was like, well, I'm going to get them next time. Do you want to read it, Evan? No? All right, Julie, thank you. What's happening in this passage? What's going on in Acts 5? Who's who's Peter and, and them talking to? The Sanhedrin, okay? Now, is that an authority over them? Yes. But what are they telling them they can't do? Yeah. Stop preaching in the name of Christ. Okay? It says actually, if I'm remembering right, they threatened to beat, they threatened them. I think they did actually beat them, if I'm remembering right, and then sent them on their way. But before they send them on the way, what does Peter say? <laughs> nope. But remember, what were they asked to do or not do? Preach the gospel. Okay? That's the line that Peter drew in the sand and said, no, we're preaching Christ because we've been called by the word of God to preach Christ. So when you think about that, in that context then, they also then, think about this, they willingly received the human consequence. Where do they complain about getting beaten? In fact, they go and they actually rejoice with the body of Christ because they suffered for Christ in the name of Christ. And so here's the thing. As believers... If the human government above us, whether it's local, whether it's federal, whether it's maybe our government completely in the next 20 years changes and becomes a whole different system, I don't know, whatever it would be. Any time that the government says you cannot preach Christ, how about in communist countries? 
when they had to secretly hide underground. And, but guess what? They still preached Christ. But you know what? When they were arrested for preaching Christ, they went joyfully. And this is awesome. We get to, we get to suffer for Christ. So here's the thing. When the human authority says, we're asking you to go against God's word, and we say, graciously and with honor, and, and listen, we respect you, but we cannot do that. We have to honor God over man in this regard. Then when they say, well, you're going to be thrown in prison, you go, so be it. I, I'm, I'm going to receive that. Why? I understand. Romans 13 says, if I don't submit, there may be consequences. And again, it doesn't mean we don't speak out about these things or we don't, you know, speak out about those that are in prison in other countries. Voice of the Martyrs has done an amazing job of doing that. But I want to remind us that in this context and in saying that, what was it the authorities tried and stopped the disciples from doing? They stopped them or wanted them to stop preaching Christ. So before we use this principle, right, to excuse whatever we decide to do or not do, I would encourage all of us to take a moment in prayer and searching and ask, okay, does this, whatever's being asked of me, does it actually violate my conscience as a follower of Christ and God's word, or does it just inconvenience me? Does it just make me uncomfortable? Does it just mean I got to take one extra step here or there? And there's a big difference there, I think. You guys get where I'm going here? Because I hear people say that. Nope, I must follow God over man. But then what you're talking about really isn't a biblical issue. So we have to be so careful there. If, if, and I'll use this as an example. Um, John MacArthur, we talked about this last Sunday night, I think. He's made a decision to say, we believe by God's word, we must gather together as the body of Christ and assemble together. We cannot forsake the assembling ourselves together. So in that regard, we must follow God and obey God over man. Now, some churches are doing that and meeting outside. And as we said this morning, the church that meets outside the church is just as much a church as the one that meets inside the church. They're still assembling together as a local body, worshiping and praying and doing all the things they're called to do. So some churches may say, we're going to meet the government halfway. We'll meet outside to try to make it more gracious to what you're asking of us, but we're not going to stop meeting. So again, that's a specific thing where I feel like as a Christian, we go, no, we're going to keep having church because we believe God's word says this. And if the government steps in and brings consequences, we take those joyfully. We don't complain about them or whine about them. We just go, okay, that's what it is. We can still say, you know, we can speak out against it and the freedoms we have, but I hope you understand where I'm going here. We just throw that out there sometimes and go, nope, I must obey God over man. Man, let's make sure that whatever's being asked of us is actually a violation of our conscience as followers of Christ and not just an inconvenience. Now, the inconvenience we can speak out against. We can say, I don't agree with that. I don't like that. I'm not gonna, I don't think I should have to do that. But that's where you now have to, between you and the Lord, say, okay, Lord, you've got to work this thing out in my heart. We can't just throw this verse out there, though. Okay? So, real quick, here's what I want to do. Five minutes left. we got a little bit more here. I'm going to read these last couple things, and then I'm going to open it up for any kind of questions, comments, or thoughts. Okay? So, here's a general rule to think about in regards to aligning it with God's Word. If the law is right, then we can submit. What I mean by right is not meaning I agree with it. I mean, if the law that's being asked of me is not violating my conscience as a follower of Christ, then I can submit to that law. If it's going against God's word, how about Daniel? What was the law that tried to get passed in Daniel's day? Not to pray to anyone except for 
Is it Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah. Um, and Daniel said, nope, I'm praying. Why? Because I'm asked to pray. That's a violation of my conscience as a follower of God. So again, those are very specific things that God's word tells us, okay? Um, and so in that regard, there's another example of that where, uh, by the way, when you read Daniel, the book of Daniel, um, did Daniel take on a uh, Babylonian name? Did he receive a Babylonian name? It was given to him. We don't see that he fights it. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't have any issue with the name. Does he learn their language? He learns their science. He learns their culture. Seemingly, he submitted to their culture in every way except when it came time to violate the law of God in regards to food and diet. Okay? And again, by the way, I know things are really popular. Like, you know, we make things like that really popular, like the Daniel plan, right? You're only supposed to eat all these things. What did I say this morning? Context matters, okay? We are free in Christ. You can eat red meat. You can eat bacon, okay? You, the Ezekiel bread, okay? Study what really happened there. By the way, that was actually a punishment, not a good thing. Right, but, okay, but Ezekiel bread today probably isn't cooked over dung like it would have been in the Old Testament, okay? And actually, God was gracious. He said, I think it was human dung at first, and he allowed him to use animal dung. So he was real gracious there. But again, when you see these things in stores, nobody tells you, that was actually a punishment. That wasn't, that was principle pattern. That wasn't a pattern to go, all right, let's all go make some bread like this, okay? So can you do the Daniel plan and whatever involves that? Sure you can. You have liberty as a follower of Christ. But again, we take those things, but realize this. That wasn't even the whole point, but here's the point. Daniel received everything that was asked of him by the authorities over him, and he did it without complaint or any word of issue until it came time to violate his own conscience between him and God. And when they said, you have to eat this, he goes, I can't do that. But do you notice how Daniel handled it? He was gracious, he was kind, and he presented an alternative. He said, hey, how about this? I'll, we'll do this for this many days. You come back and look at us. And if we don't look as good or better than everyone else, we'll go ahead and submit to what you're asking us to do. And so many times I think as believers, even when it's a violation of our conscience and we know we can't do it and we, we refuse to submit to that, I, I don't know how often we give alternatives and present another plan graciously and go, I understand what you're asking of me. Let me ask you, can we do this instead? How about, how about this instead? That may not get listened to but we don't even try sometimes. And so I just want to use it as an example. We can submit when the law is good, even if it means changing things that are comfortable to us, okay? But when it's a violation of God's word or what we believe God's word is asking us to do, I believe that God allows us to then step outside of that and say, I need to submit to God and not man. Again, Paul is saying that it is lawful to pay what we owe. Um, if that is financial in matters of respect, in matters of reverence. So we pay what we owe. If it's financial taxes, respect, we respect the position in matters of reverence. We may not agree with where our money goes, and we may have the freedom in this country to voice that concern respectfully, but we cannot use that as grounds to justify not paying what we owe. That's Paul's point. Do you think the tax that they paid the Roman Empire went where they wanted it to go? There's a lot of things our taxes go to that I don't wish it would go to. But I, as a believer, cannot use that as a grounds to say, I'm not paying my taxes. Do you guys get that? I can voice the concerns. I can say, man, I don't think it should go there because I've been given that freedom in this country. 
but I still have to pay what I owe because I'm a citizen of this country and that's what's being asked of me. That's kind of a good example of that idea, all right? So we'll put a pin in it. We'll pick up in verse 8 next week. But does anyone have any thoughts, comments, or questions before we go? I know it's kind of a touchy subject for some in our day and age. Renee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And also, by the way, as we're in God's word, we're going to know where that line needs to be drawn on the side of I can and can't do this or that. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And I, I, I said it last week in the morning message. I think, especially when we talk about either politics or ideologies or whatever. Um, the word we need is conversations. And I feel like, I think social media, uh, as much of a blessing as it can be, to, I mean, it's used to continue with the Word of God. And we can preach the Word of God in places that have been preached because of social media or technology. I think sometimes social media has removed conversation. And it's more about these quick one-liners and about just proving a point as fast as you can. And I don't know, maybe there are more people than I realize, but I think a lot of people get on social media and put a post out there. And I'm not saying anyone specific, I'm just saying in general. And I don't know if they're doing that, actually wanting a dialogue. Where in conversation, I can respect you face-to-face and you can say, well, this is kind of where I fall on this issue. And I can go, oh, it's really cool. This is kind of what I've always thought. And now, sometimes it works. Here, listen, sometimes it works. Sometimes not so much. But here's the point. You said it. I, I do think there are things in God's word that are black and white. I think that as Christians, I can't, you know, if a Christian can even say, you know what, the government just said we can't pray unless we pray to the image of Trump, whatever, okay, or Biden or whoever it's going to be, okay? And I get to put a poster up in my room and I have to pray to Trump or Biden every day, okay? That's the law of the land. I would say as a Christian, I'm using a very silly example, but as a Christian, I would go, no, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm not going to put an idol before me. I'm going to pray and worship God. Another Christian may come along and go, man, I don't know. I think we should do it, you know, publicly and then privately we'll pray to Christ and be good. I, that person has the right to think that, but I would go to Scripture and say, no, that you're actually going against God's word, God's word in this case. Lovingly, graciously, and initiate that. I think there is a line for Christian liberty in a lot of ways. We need to understand that Christian liberty exists and we can have disagreements and still fall in that range of biblical Christianity. But I do think there are some things that are just purely black and white. Scripture specifically says this. I can't then say that. Um, but again, I think we don't get to that point without conversation and discipleship. And I think when we don't have those things, we end up having arguments, hurt feelings, um, conflict that's not fruitful. Because conflict can be good and fruitful, but if it's not fruitful, it wasn't good. Um, and so I think we have to be careful there. I think that's where those conversations come in. Yes. Yes. 
Exactly. Because I think there are times where maybe you'll be, you know, 10 years ago, you think of what you used to think about something and you go, where did I get that from? You know, and then you get in God's word and you see where God has grown you. And that's the beauty of sanctification, right? We're sanctified in God's eyes. But then progressive sanctification says I'm growing through this life. And I think so many times we don't really allow others that ability to grow. We automatically expect them to be where we are. And you better be where I am or else you're a horrible Christian. And we're not too good at just allowing people space. I'm not saying we don't speak truth and love, but we don't allow people that space to actually be sanctified and to grow and to understand and learn. And Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I love what you said there, that we can just say, God, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. Right. And then we can repent and move on. And God's grace is there. I love that David even prays, God, forgive me for the sins I know I've committed and forgive me for the sins I didn't even know I committed. Like, I'm just, whatever I've done that displeases you, would you forgive me? Because I know there's ones I did, I go, that was wrong. And there's other ones I did, and I go, I don't know about this one. So it's good to kind of talk that through for sure. Now, any other thoughts, comments, or questions? Yes. Yeah. Because I think we can all say that at times we've been ignorant of the things of God. And we're so gracious that God gave us time to learn. We're all ignorant of, of the things of God at times. Right. Paul says at the end of his life, I just want to know the power of Christ and his resurrection. And it's like, well, you wrote a third of the New Testament and you're saying, man, I just want to know more. And I think I've lived, you know, so many years as a follower of Christ. I've read the Bible through a couple of times and I'm like, I got it, God. I'm pretty, there. I'm pretty much there, you know, and we do that. We're so kind of arrogant that way. I don't think we mean to be, but I think we got to be careful there. Yeah. So again, um, I hope you guys leave here tonight with the idea that we can very much disagree with what our government does. We can very much voice those concerns in a way that is respectful and Christ honoring. We can, we can encourage others to think through these things. But at the end of the day, if what's being asked of us is not a violation of our conscience, then Paul seems to say that we can submit to that joyfully and in a way that would ultimately reflect God's glory. And so, again, I encourage you guys, study through Romans 12 on your, or 13 on your own. I'd love to have some more conversation next week as you study through it. Maybe you see something that I didn't see. And we can kind of, again, learn together. Well, let's do this, guys. Let's go ahead and uh, pray. We'll ask God to be with us through tonight and the rest of this week. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for what you've done in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that you've given us, Lord. And I pray that we would not be ignorant willfully, but that we would understand that we can get into your word and we can learn and we can pray and we can have the spirits leading in our lives, Lord. We can talk with other spiritual people, people that are spiritual in our lives that have uh, grown in you and have a knowledge of you. We can uh, come under the teaching of your word where we can grow and, and learn more about you, Lord. And it's all just such a great blessing to be able to do all of that for your praise and for your glory. Lord, I know that we live in a day and age today that is just, um, it's just difficult to, to walk the line of follow Christ and live in a way that honors you and not have our human emotions get pulled into all that we see going on around us, Lord. And, and you know my heart, Lord, uh, I am grieved uh, often by what I see in our world and in our culture today. 
us. Evil is called good, Lord, and those that are trying to do good are seen as evil. And uh, Lord, it's, it's just a crazy time we live in. But, but Lord, again, if I really believe your word and I really believe it's true, then I can be disheartened by those things. I cannot like those things. I can speak out against those things. But I better not be surprised by those things. Because if I'm surprised by those things, then I really didn't believe what you said it was going to be like as we walk as followers of Christ. And so, Lord, we may not receive praise this side of heaven for the good that we do for you. And that's okay, because, Lord, you are over all of that. So, Father, I pray in this area, specifically in this day and age, I pray you'd give us great wisdom in this, that we would walk humbly, that we would just do what you're calling us to do for your glory and your praise. And, Lord, again, if we share our views on politics or culture five times this week. I pray that we would share you 15 times this week. And just help us to be more in love with you than in love with our freedoms. To be more in love with you than we are with our convenience and our comforts. Ultimately, Lord, may we love you more than all things and that you would be glorified. So, Father, again, we praise you and we thank you for your grace. Go with us now this week, we ask, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.